All right. If you've got your Bibles with you today, please turn in them to Leviticus chapter 23. We're beginning a new series this, uh, this month, and it'll be focused within Leviticus chapter 23, although we'll be jumping around a bit from place to place. If you uh, didn't bring a Bible, no worries. Uh, grab one from the pew in front of you. Uh, it's page 101. So we'll just cut right to the chase, 101. Oh, one more um, announcement I totally forgot about, even though I wrote it down in my own handwriting. Uh, uh, the Deatons came a couple of weeks ago. You might remember them, and they led us in music. Uh, uh, Alan is starting a um, uh, Farm Bureau insurance thing over in Battle Creek, um, and they need, a, and he needs like a room to to crash during the week. If you know of anybody who's got a room, or maybe you've got a room and want to offer your hospitality to him, he's a pretty decent dude. I like him. He won't tear the place up or anything. So um, come and see me if you have um, have a room or could could offer. Not necessarily in Battle Creek, obviously. I know you guys live here, so. All right. Um, this morning, uh, time uh, governs our lives, does it not? Uh, if you don't believe me, try throwing out your calendar or your clock, which sounds amazing, doesn't it? Just hurl it into the trash, but we couldn't possibly do that because, you know, we have to be to work at a certain time, to school at a certain time, to the doctor's appointment at a certain time. All the doctor gets to fudge time quite a bit. Um, you know, we, we have sports games and practices. We have all kinds of things. Like, we are just, we're governed by this clock, by this time. And the holidays, which are coming on fast and heavy, uh, they are going to take even more of our time. And, they, of course, they are a big way that we track time. And we know December 25th. We know November 26th. We know January 1st. I just throw those days out there, and you, July the 4th, like, you, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to name even the holiday. Those big high dates govern the way that we live our lives. Uh, govern the ebb and flow, time uh, is our fugleman. And it doesn't matter whether or not you are a Christian or not a Christian or live here or live in Russia. Wherever you live, right, these things govern, govern our lives. Um, and I think that's an important thing to think about, even though I rarely think we do. And what the way that we spend our time then uh, reveals something too. It reveals where our lives are, are centered doesn't it? If, if, if my, my mindset or what I'm thinking about all weekend long is the next football game, uh, when's it going to be on? You know, Saturday I've got this, and Sunday I've got this one, and, and Monday night I've got this one, and everything's circled around that. What's the center of my life? Right? It's football. If it's my kids and their schedule and their practices, and well, we've got to go to soccer, and then we've got to go to this rehearsal, and we've got this and that, and, and they want to go over here and go see this movie, and I've got to drive them over there, what's the center of my life? Kids, right? I've got to work, and, and of course all of us have you know, school that we've got to get kids to, or we've got a work schedule, but we often go above and beyond that, don't we? Well, I, I know I could put in overtime here, and I know I need to get this project done over here, and, and we call that a workaholic, don't we? The life that is centered around work. Um, we, when I was a youth minister, I, I don't know if Survivor, is Survivor still a thing? Do they, is that still on? Like a TV show? Yes, it is? Okay. My goodness. That's a run. And well, when, when I was a youth minister many years ago, uh, there was a family that was just, they loved Survivor. And so they would like come downstairs and they would pull kids out of youth group because we weren't done quite yet so they could get home for Survivor. Survivor on Wednesday night was the most important thing in these people's lives. Now they wanted to come to church, didn't And they came to church very regularly. But what they couldn't miss, what they couldn't miss was Survivor. So what was their life centered on? Right? Survivor. 
And so what I'm, what I'm trying to point out is that the way that, that we schedule time, the, the things that we can't miss, the things that we, we've got that alarm clock and we, we get up for early and we stay up late for, those things reveal something about our hearts. This might be the most controversial message that I could preach because I'm not messing with this morning um, your thoughts about lust or murder. Well, hopefully not those things. But we've been talking about like blasphemy and foolishness and all these other things. I'm not messing with some abstract concept. I'm asking the question this morning, where do you prioritize time? And what does that say about where your life is centered? Because we don't think about that a lot. We're just sort of swept up with it, right? I mean, I'm just doing the next thing, next thing, next thing. And next thing I know, it's Saturday. Next thing I know, it's Sunday night, and I'm starting all over again. God thought very specifically about time. In Exodus chapter 23, in Leviticus chapter 23, in Numbers chapter 28 and 29, and in uh, Deuteronomy 15 and 16, God is developing his people. And this is the the books of the law, This is the first time where he's beginning to lay out and shape these people so that they could be truly the people of God. And he begins by saying, listen, I also need to be your time Lord. If I'm going to be the Lord of worship, if I'm going to be the center of your life, if I'm going to be the Lord of your ethics, if I'm going to be the Lord of everything, I have to also be the center of time. And he gave a lot of thought to this. So I'm looking at Leviticus Chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, says this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as a holy convocation. They are my appointed feasts. Now if you look at, uh, remember how in your Bibles... The, the big chapter numbers and the small chapter numbers, and especially these headings, they didn't belong in the original text. It was just sort of one long text. And so we kind of begin and end at different places, even though it's maybe harsh to the text. But if you look above in chapter 22, uh, halfway through verse 32 and into verse 33, it says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. If you underline in your Bibles, or you have a Pulit Bible, I encourage underlining in these, because it should be underlined. But I love this little word here, or this little phrase that says, to be your God. That is, that God came to the Israelites, these people who, they're just normal people every day. They're nothing special or significant about them. They weren't a great nation. But God comes to them, and he lifts them out of the land of Egypt, out of this house of power. He saves them. Why? So that he can be their God. So that he can have a, a relationship with them. That is what God is, is after with these people. And that's significant. I want it to stand out to you too that as he brings these people out of bondage and he begins to develop a relationship with them, he says, I am going to appoint for you feasts. You notice that? Underline that. Because I want you to pay attention to the fact that it isn't fasts. Has anybody ever fasted before? Yeah, it's miserable. It's terrible. Don't do it, right? No fun to be had in fasting. None at all. And I, and I want to point out that, that, that what God is saying here is he says, I'm going to commemorate some high holy days for you. And what I want you to do is I want you to cook the biggest turkey you can find with stuffing, stuffing, and gravy, and mashed potatoes. We went to Thanksgiving. Okay, listen. We just got married. We go to Thanksgiving at her, 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 her house, her family's house, 
Thanksgiving, there's turkey, there's gravy, there's stuffing, there is no mashed potatoes. Like it was almost, it was almost over right then. I held it together. I didn't say anything. Um, but that, what? <laughs> the cat's I didn't cook anything. I have no right to complain, right? Right, to have a fast, or to have a feast, not to have a fast. This is what God is saying to the people. And I, you know, I, I find that to be really important, that God says, I want you to center your lives around me. In fact, if you remember, right, you had the tabernacle in the middle, and all of the tribes of Israel, they camped all the way around, but they would have these high holy days, these big feasts. I want to be in the middle of you, and I want you to celebrate all that I have done for you. I want you to celebrate that I'm your God and you're my people. I want you to celebrate how I've delivered you, how I've protected you, how I've preserved you, how I've loved you as though you were my own. Even though you didn't deserve it, even though you didn't earn it, I loved you. Celebrate this. I think that's a really incredible thought. And I I think it's really important here too. This is not a... uh, this is not out of a, like, a, like an obedient thing, like I'm going to command you and I want you to, to obey this thing. It, it's, it's like our, our marriage. You know, Laura and I once in a great while, once a year, actually, it's been, <laughs> we get a babysitter, all right? And we go out. And what do we do? The lady comes to the table and she says, would you like an appetizer? And I said, no, I would like some cheese fries with bacon on top. That's what I would like. Bring it to the table. Right? I mean, we, we, we feast and celebrate the relationships that we have. I went out to, to Denver a few weeks ago to celebrate my f- uh, friend Danny's 30th birthday, to surprise him for his birthday. Within an hour of landing, we were at a Waffle House because there is nothing better at 11 o'clock at night than a Waffle House. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes. <laughs> right? Any time of day. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, that's exactly right. Any time of day is true. Because when you get together with friends, the diet goes out the window, right? And the celebration begins. And so all of the bad press that the Old Testament receives, and it receives a ton of it if you pay any attention to sort of the new atheist movement. They're very down on the Old Testament. And even if you read Leviticus, you you might walk away thinking, that seemed really harsh. There's a lot of harsh things going on here, and, and I don't see any joy in this. But I want you to see that three times in the summer... And four times in the fall, God called them together and said, you take a week off work and you remember and you celebrate and you feast and you sing and you dance. And this can't possibly be seen as an obligation other than the fact that you'd say, oh, shucks, I got to take a week off work to feast and sing and dance and celebrate God, right? I mean, darn. Further, we see that this is merely an extension of what we've been talking about, and that is that God wants to dwell in the midst of his people. That tabernacle that sat in the middle, read in Exodus 25, 8, um, God commands him, he says, Let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell in the midst of them. And this, to me, just stands out, and this is going to be a big theme as we think about Leviticus um, chapter 23, about how Jesus fulfills that. Because I think of that tent that sat in the middle of the people and all of the camps of the Israelites, all of like Gad and Asher and Nephtali and Judah and Levi and all these different um, clans are, are circled around that one giant tent, this one tent of me, this one place where God came and he dwelt. And he says, five times a year I want you to gather around this and just remember and to celebrate 
me because I want to be in the middle of you. It makes me think of Jesus in John 1.14. And it says, the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. Some of you might remember that that word dwelt means literally to sojourn or to tent. That God tented among us again. But instead of a tent, it was a man. Instead of a tent, it was the Son of God. Instead of a tent, it was the Savior of the world who walked in our midst and revealed to us the heart of God, of love and holiness and restoration and transformation, all of these wonderful things that this is the heart of the living God. And he says, I want you, I want you to celebrate that. So practically, what we draw from this text is that God is not a God of fasting and famine, but God, out of his abundance, loves in just that, in abundance. And as we dip our toes into the text, I'd like us to begin to think about how is it that we celebrate as a people, as Christian people, how do we celebrate the presence of God in our midst? And I think we begin with this information or this knowledge that Jesus, or God, I should say, in this text, wants to be Israel's time lord. That if God's going to be the center of everything, he has to be the center of their appointed feasts, as we read in verse 2, and their convocations. Um, and we're going to be talking a lot about how these feasts, as we go on and talk about the feasts specifically, how they're fulfilled in Jesus, how they're fulfilled in the church, how we actually practice this stuff all the time, even though we don't necessarily recognize its Old Testament connections. Um, but we know that, that as this, this imagery uh, that happens in Leviticus, that it takes place in the church pretty rapidly. You remember that all of the Christians who were, were first Christians were just Jews who believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the prophecy that they had hoped for. And so as they began to let go of the things that were distinctly Jewish, as it were, so they're not celebrating the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or all these other things, they began to center their lives around Jesus within the New Testament and within the apostolic and post-apostolic age, within the first about two to three hundred years, rapidly the calendar year of the Christian began to be shaped around the life of Jesus. So we would think of the Holy Nativity. We would think of a Holy Week. We would think of Palm Sunday. And uh, we would think of uh, Monday, Thursday, where Jesus meet, uh, does uh, Passover. Think of Good Friday. We think of um, the Resurrection Sunday. We think of the Ascension. We think of Pentecost. Their big, high, holy feasts were now the days that marked the life of Jesus who came to fulfill all the stuff we read in Leviticus. And so what I am troubled by as I ruminate over Leviticus 23 and over this concept that God should be the Lord of my high times, the Lord of the celebrations that mark those things, those things I'm excited about participating in. I begin to wonder, is God really the center of those high times that I'm excited about? Is God the center of those high holy days for me? You know, I, I, I think that um, our Roman Catholic friends and our Orthodox friends get this much better than we do because we will sing vociferously on the 4th of July but remained unmoved by an empty tomb. This December, we will cut our programming because we are all far too busy to be found in church. We will think Pentecost comes and we might even notice the word, but what does it mean to us? It's just a Greek word for 50 Maybe that's it. Maybe you don't even know that. 
What do we find in our lives that mark our lives as devoted to God to such an extent that I cannot wait to celebrate his presence in my life, in the life of my church. In fact, I notice that our, our, our holidays, what do we do? We nuclearize. We, we meet with our families, our biological families. But the high holy day is what? It's God's act to make us a people. When do we celebrate that? When are we excited about that? Is that what shapes our Christmas? The church? Is that what shapes Resurrection Sunday? The church? So what I am asking you as we think about Leviticus is simply that. How is God the Lord of your celebrations? How is God the Lord of your time? And what does that reveal about where we're centered? Of what makes us and shapes us? When you look at your calendar, if I pulled out your calendar and you you flip through it, how is your calendar governed? Is it governed by vacations? Is it governed by the school year? Is it governed by hunting season? Is it governed by football season or basketball season or whatever? Jiu-jitsu season, which is all times. Is it governed by, what's it governed by? Is it governed by God? Is it shaping you? Is God at your center? Look at verse 3 of Leviticus 23. It says, uh, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Now, um, this is probably familiar to us as a concept. And we're familiar with the idea that, that God um, created all things and he rested on the seventh day, Right? And then that was written into the Old Testament, into the law, to the Ten Commandments, the very heart, kind of the condensed, ver- the Reader's Digest version of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? You've got those Ten Commandments written into this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it separate. Keep it apart. Keep it holy. These things are written into the laws. And we recognize that very quickly within the early church. Instead of remembering the seventh day, because again we see them shaping their life and their calendar around Jesus. And Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, the first day of the week. The Sabbath stuff gets imputed into uh, the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Which is why you all are sitting here today rather than yesterday. There's that. So the question that um, stands out to me as I read Leviticus here as well is why does it matter so much? Like, so if you think of the Ten Commandments, it's, you know, have no other gods, don't make any idols, don't abuse my name, and then keep the Sabbath day holy. And then he gets to stuff like murder and adultery and theft and all that other stuff. And it just seems sort of strange to me because I think in terms of Sabbath, we should maybe put, like, in terms of importance, maybe murder should go before Sabbath, Right? Like, it just seems sort of bizarre. Maybe I'm alone in that. I don't know. It just seems sort of a bizarre order. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is why? Why does that stand before all of these other things? And I want to make a suggestion to you that the reason all of that God stuff stands before all of that human stuff is because if you don't know who you're worshiping and why you're worshiping them, then why would all those other things like murder and theft and adultery and whatever things that you feel impulsed to do, why would they ever stand as a commandment over you? 
And so the name of God and the holiness of God and uh, the God himself, of only one God, and, and, and you need to take one day a week to, to worship and to remember and to, to ruminate and to be reminded again, oh, that's right, I am an Israelite. Oh, that's right, I am a Christian. And because I am a Christian, all of these other things, which I know are so terrible, I have to abstain from them even within my heart, as we talked about last, last few uh, uh, weeks. And so uh, the Sabbath day stands out as an particularly important day because without the foundation of who we worship and without that touch point weekly we will forget because we're really really forgetful aren't we i wrote it in my hand like my own handwriting i wrote it it was staring me in the face and i forgot to announce it like that's how forgetful we are and so god seeks to 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 hit that point you know and this is something that has really gone away in, in our, when I was a kid, I remember, just vaguely remember things being closed down. Um, I remember some of the older folks looking down at the younger folks because they would go out to lunch after church. It was like really scandalous in our little tiny church. And it was really scandalous because, you know, obviously if you go out to lunch, somebody else is working instead of worshiping. And so, the, you know, the older folks are like, you know, pointing their finger at the younger folks who are like my parents. So, you know. Um, I think there was a problem with that, though, and the problem with that is that we began to create a new law. We began to say, well, you know, you have to keep the Sabbath. You can't go to Meyer. You can't go out to lunch. We start to make new laws, right? But we're free from law, aren't we? We're free from law. But what we have to ask the question is, like, what does it mean to be free from law? Does it mean that I no longer have to—I can have more than one God? Does it mean I can make idols? Does it mean I can blaspheme in God's name? Does it mean I don't have to keep the Sabbath? Does it mean I can commit murder and have adultery and steal things? Because some of you guys have nicer cars than me. And if that's what law keeping means, then like, I'm about to upgrade, right? (laughs) So that can't possibly be what it means to be free from the law. What it means to be free from the law is that no longer do I, am I a child that needs to be told, don't do this. I have been matured in Christ. I have been saved in Christ. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit so that no longer do I need a tablet of stone to tell me right from wrong because it's been written on my flesh. I have no desire to do things that would harm myself or somebody else. I wouldn't want to do that. And because I don't have any interest in doing that, I don't need a law to stand over me and say, don't do that, right? And this is why Paul says, it's no longer on tablets of stone. It's now written on your heart. You have been transformed and sanctified and changed. You are different now. You are a child of God. And so, your priorities are different than the priorities of everyone else around you. And I don't think the priority of a day of worship to God has changed. I hope to convince you of that. Because I'm fully convinced of that. In fact, I've been very convicted of that as I've been reading the Old Testament. That I have really neglected this in my own life and in our own house. Because we... We, we, we use this word that we're the people of God. Don't we use that? We say that all the time. We use that. And what does it mean to be a people? It means many things. It means you have a shared language. It means you have a shared morality. It means you have a shared culture. But it always, always, always means you also have a shared calendar. You have a shared concept of time. So in Canada, it's October 12th. And that is, does anybody know? Anybody Canadian? Is it Boxing Day? Because I thought it was... You threw me off. I was like, you're not Canadian. Wait. What? Thanksgiving Day, right? Thanksgiving Day. But if, you, if I said, hey, come over for Thanksgiving dinner, I, well, you'd probably still come because you know there's turkey and mashed potatoes. 
because we always have mashed potatoes. But we don't celebrate Thanksgiving then, right? Because we're not Canadians, you know. We, we would celebrate on the 26th of November because that's when Thanksgiving They have this shared concept of time. They have a shared concept of the calendar. And the Christian people, I think, are no different, even though we have forgotten that we, that. And we have a shared concept of time as well. Our high holy days are Resurrection Sunday. The most important moment in entire human history is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Christmas is all about Christ's Mass. It's all about celebrating who Christ is, the nativity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It couldn't be more important than to say God took on flesh and he dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his light, light as of the only Son who has come from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we have received from him grace upon grace upon grace. And we gather together to worship and to remember that. But we also recognize that if God is going to be the time Lord in the big things, he has to be time Lord of the small things, of the mundane, of the weekly. That we need that touch point in the week that says, God is the center of my life. And I think that we, we miss this because this is not a punishment, a solemn day of rest. Hey, I'd like you to take a day off. Boy, God is mean. But is there anything harder for us to do, and this is especially an American thing, I think, anything harder to do than for me to say, don't go anywhere today. Stay home with your family or go visit some other Christians and just be together. Drink as much coffee as you can take, right? Well, no, I gotta go to the store. No, I've got, you know, this to do or I've got that to do. Like, there's nothing harder for us to do than that. And that God wants us to, and you need rest. So rest. He doesn't say fast, He doesn't say pray all day. He doesn't say listen to Jordan's sermon forever and ever and ever. Don't do that. Like, that sounds awful, right? It's it's gather together, worship, rest, remember, love God. And the problem, uh, I think, is that when we just give him the morning, right? We just say, well, it's, it's just something I do on the morning, doesn't that relegate it to sort of an inferior, I've got all these other things I'm going to do today. All these other things to do today. Rather than today is the Lord's day. I'd encourage you as people to begin to think about what that looks like. Our family has begun to think about what that looks like. It meant that I had to run to the store yesterday so I could get enough food so I didn't have to go to the store today. Right? I mean, it means, it means like transitions in your life. But it also means that life begins to be shaped around who God is, and what God is. And the problem is that no one is going to help you with this. Our culture has forgotten our calendar, right? They didn't shape it around us anymore. In fact, we ran into this, uh, that was like a weird, like, puberty squeak I just did. <laughs> right? No one else caught that. It was just, um, Emery's in ballet, and, uh, uh, which is awful, and uh, she's going to be in the Nutcracker, which is fine, when it comes up and there are all these little cute kids running around, you know, um, doing stuff, jumping and whatnot. And so the ballet teacher says, you, they've never danced in front of anybody before, so I want to do like this mini performance, like this mini performance. And we're like, oh, well, you know, cool. So uh, we look at the dates and we can make the dates. It's not a big deal. Well, it ended up being a big pain in the butt, but you can talk to Laura about that. But... This past week, we realized, shoot, uh, 
the ballet recital is tonight. It's on church night. Like this, is, this is when our small group, our small church meets. This, this, is, this is our night. And so, so what are we going to do about this? We really wrestle with this as a family. I didn't even, it didn't even enter my mind like we would have the ballet thing on a Sunday night. Uh, and so I didn't even think to check, it, uh, check into it. And, um, you know, maybe that's a throwback. Um, you know, Matt posted this. It really moved me. Um, and so I stole it. Nope. Oh, man, I've been clicking this whole time and nothing happened. Someone needs to tell me. Anyway, this is from 1956, uh, Resurrection Sunday. Try as hard as I might, I can't imagine that today, right? Right? And so, so the culture has moved on. Like, we're, we're, no longer, uh, we're no longer a priority. When I was a kid, like, our small town that I lived in, I mean, you know, there was nothing on Sunday night. There was nothing on Wednesday night because everybody was going to church and doing stuff, you know? And so they respected the calendar. We live in a day and age where the calendar now belongs to the world. Um, there has been a huge shift in the way that things, things work, and no one is concerned with this. And we could make a huge mistake by making new laws, making new rules, and saying, well, you can't do this, but you can do this, and you can walk this far, but you can't walk that far, and one mile too long, and you're, you know, you're doomed to the pits of hell forever and ever, or something like that. We can make those pharisaical mistakes, and that's not what I'm advocating for you today, in case some of you misread and feel like sending emails to me. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, God should be the center of your life. And if God is the center of your life, then God is the center of your time. And I'm asking you to take a critical moment and to think about the holy days that you have and the way that you spend your week and ask the question, is God truly the center of my time? Because this is such an important thing that he wrote it in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was of critical importance, so important that he put it into the Ten Commandments itself. It's so important that you open up the book of Genesis chapter 1 and God made this and God made this and God made this and God made this and then God didn't make anything and he rested and he called that day holy. And then he sent his son and we've shaped our lives around his son. So what does this mean practically, I think? For us, it means that we as Christians are in, in a time now where we have to make hard choices about what matters most to us. Uh, Emery is probably going to run into this, I, I guess, now. Um, what? She will. Paul, Paul assures me. She will. And he's got more kids than me, and he would know. Uh, it will. And so what does that mean for our family? It means that there might come a point where Emery, who loves ballet, will not be in recitals. Um, and if she's not in recitals, then she'll never get discovered and end up as the principal ba- uh, ballerina of the Moscow Ballet. And she'll miss out on that scholarship to Juilliard. Um, and she won't become a famous ballerina. Um, but she will grow up in a house where her parents are voraciously committed to a God who they believe is the center of all things. And who have shaped their life according to it, even though it has meant to some extent a sacrifice in what we do on that day. And what it will mean is that I am rolling the dice. That Emery is either going to be bitter because we kept ballet from her. Or she will become the kind of Christian that the world marvels at. And I don't know which one we'll get. But my daughter's eternity 
is in my hands. And I will sacrifice absolutely anything to take the chance that I will be with her. And so when we think about centering our lives on who God is, man, I want to encourage you to look at your time. You know, I I think about Sunday nights. My favorite thing is Sunday nights. Sunday nights, for me, the idea of spending an entire day worshiping God is not a burden. To me, it's joy because I love it when Eric and Emily and and Mark and Ellen and uh, Gwen and John come over and we sit around the table and we argue and we eat uh, Gwen's awesome homemade bread and we eat too much of it because I know there's like 12,000 calories per slice and we argue about uh, uh, how to deal with our kids and the over-sexualization of culture. And we laugh about the differences between our ages because Gwen really hates the office, but we think it's really funny. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with all of the cultural differences, but we are Christians who have come together around one table. And that, my friends, is worship. God wants us to be celebrating and thanksgiving and and loving one another and getting to know one another and pouring into one another's lives. And the center of that table, because there's no reason why all of us would be around the table together other than Jesus. Uh, You guys are much older than we are, and Mark and Ellen are way too cool for us. So there's no reason for us to be together except for Jesus. What's the center of your life? What's the center of your life? Let's stand and sing a song.